and we are live. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I am one of your co-hosts, Blake Rafino. Alongside me is Joe DeLeon. Good afternoon, sir. How are we doing? Uh, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm excited to get into another list debate, and it seems like we're already, we're already getting a little heated on Twitter. We're also getting a little heated in the text thread, so uh, I'm excited to dive into this one. We got offensive coordinators today, which should be pretty fun. I don't really hate your list, you know, like I don't hate it. I don't love it. Okay. I think that you're a homer. How am I a homer? I don't have a single, no one with Notre Dame ties Andy on this Ludwig. list. He, he's not Notre Dame's offensive coordinator. But he could have been. He should have been. And I knew, I was aware of Andy Ludwig before he was connected to that opening if anything, I would argue if I put Mike Denbrock on there, then that would have been more homerism in my favor because of his ties to Notre Dame. But I did not put him on there. So I can't be accused of homerism. Can I tell you something that is a pet yes. peeve of mine? Yeah. A, pet, a sports pet peeve of mine is like, so for example, okay, like, so Mike Denbrock is in mine. Yeah. And I feel as if like I have to like, throw all the punches in the world to defend him when all I'm going to do tonight is just give you the statistics. You know, like I, I'm just going to give you exactly what he did and then give you the, make you have the determination that he's a top five OC in the league. Yeah. He's a top five OC in the league, in my opinion. And we'll get into that and we'll get into all of these. I was surprised that you had Brian Grubb as high as you did. Um, the Washington offensive coordinator, um, again, as I'm going to continue to say on the show, I am a Washington, I'm a Michael Penix Stan account. Um, but nevertheless, you know, Saban mm -hmm. Grubb was the first guy that Saban interviewed for the, their yes. opening for the OC. So he almost took that job. He almost took that job, but how can you leave Michael Penix Jr.? And one guy that I think, um, is too high on my list, but I had to put him up there and a guy that I put too low, uh, on my end, I think it's going to be a really good debate. Yeah, no, I'm I'm excited to get after it. I I understand where there's some qualms with some of my placements here. By the way, I I need to to get the, the the point out here. There was one person who was like, "Why isn't Brian Hartline on the list?" He doesn't belong on the list. He's never called a play. Right. And then on top of that, and it's not even a matter of the semantics of is it an offensive play caller or an offensive coordinator. Yeah, the key if we were going to play caller, we would probably all go Josh Heupel, right? I mean, yes, and Lincoln Riley would be on there. Steve Sarkeesian would be on there. It'd be a different uh, list. No, no, no. Mm -mm. Come on, Sark deserves some recognition for being a great play caller. The only way that Sark gets on my list is when he can officially say, "We're back." Remove the head coaching aspect. Remove the head coaching aspect for a quick second. Was he not a good offensive coordinator at Alabama? Yeah, with the tree trunks that he had running on the outside in Tua. He still used those athletes effectively. Yeah. That's good okay. coaching. Anyway, we do have a good show in store for you. We'll debate our top five list of offensive coordinators uh, in the league. Uh, Hugh Freeze on the idea of playing opponents in spring. John, I'm really interested about that. Yeah. In South Carolina, your favorite head coach in the SEC, Shane Beamer, was asked a question today, and he gave the same exact answer that Hugh Freeze did. I'm really interested to find out if more coaches are going to want to do this. Because, look, Joe, you could pay an in-state school $150,000 to come over and scrimmage, if not more. And get some real good quality reps. Because let me tell you something. 
something that you and I have not talked about mm -hmm. all offseason, coaches really don't want to do a spring game anymore. They they really don't. And it's it's not appalling. They want the practices. They don't want the game. They think the game is meaningless, which it quite honestly it is. It's it's kind of like a a gimmick in a way where it's just a goofy little show. And and we'll dive into this when we talk about those comments that were made by Hugh Freeze and then now by Beamer. I think it's an interesting thought. I know that it's not something that it hasn't been brought up before, but it could make the spring a little more fun. And it, the, the good point made by Hugh is that there's every level of football. There are exhibitions with other teams before the season starts. So why is it right. allowed in the NCAA level? And, you know, we again, we can get into that. You know why? I've, because you have tune-up games in season. That's why. Yes. Yeah. So – I'm gonna get I'm gonna combat some of the things that they're saying, but I want to add on to it. So I don't disagree, but I also don't agree with him either. We'll talk about it as the as the show goes on. So everybody do us a favor, hit the like and share, share to all of those social media groups. You guys continue as always to dominate the numbers on Facebook. Continue to do that for us. If you're listening to us on YouTube, like, subscribe, notification bell, all of that stuff. Wherever you listen to podcasts, rate, review, and subscribe, we greatly appreciate you doing that joe let's get to our quick break because last time we went a little too long on what we were talking about and didn't have enough time for our top 10 so let's do this let's talk about our good friends over ben online we get to our list next ben online is the fastest and easiest way for you to wager on all of your favorite sports contest events with the first to market odds in lines Find reviews for all the news for each league including major league baseball nfl nba nhl combat sports, college sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports information for live, in-game betting, props, and futures. Head on over to BetOnline today and use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's betonline.ag, betonline.ag. I did have a lot of people today, Joe, ask me, um, mm -hmm. of all things, what we were doing for the draft. Is there any news on this? Because I didn't know what to tell them. <laughs> uh, we're finalizing that. We're in the we're in the process. Of, I I I believe how, that how, the, how 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 long does it take? Uh, well, when there's a lot more other things that have to get done, and we're we don't just have a, a production department that isn't doing a million things, we'd we'd move quicker on some things. But um, okay, the the idea is it's gonna be a lot of the same coverage that we did last year. Is the is the current intention? Well, if it is, let me just tell you this: my fat ass is not sitting in a chair for three and a half hours, not being getting being able to get up to go take a pee. So okay. we'll, we're going to coordinate that. We'll, we'll okay, yeah, I'll just hop out. Like we'll just do like this, you know? Hello, goodbye, you know? Like we'll just do something like that. Like let me get out of here. But when anyway, Eric's back from Hawaii, we're gonna we're gonna finalize it. Okay. All right. So let's get to our list. So Joe, I think this is interesting. Okay. When you do stuff like this, so our job when is to break down college football in its entirety, mm -hmm. SEC mainly, but in its entirety. And so today, we're going to talk about our top five offensive corners. You know what I realized today? What? Outside of a couple of dudes, outside of just a couple of dudes, mm 
there's only maybe one or two big names that are OCs now. I think that's interesting because a lot of the great OCs that we've seen the last couple of years, what has happened to them? Lane Kiffin went to Ole Miss. Steve Sarkeesian went to Texas. So Lincoln Riley, so on and so forth. Josh Heupel. All of the really good play callers offensively have become head coaches. Yes. What's interesting about this to me is this year you could have some really uh, some names really pop up that could be some head coaches like Dillingham uh, going to Arizona State. Like there's not big names anymore. So when we were making this list, let me show you my top five. This was my list. So Ryan Grubb at Washington, Garrett Riley, who was at TCU, now is at Clemson, Jeff Levy, Mike Denbrock, and Alice, uh, Alex Atkins. Joe, round out my top five. Look, I I'm just going to defend a couple of these. Mm -hmm. We were talking about this just a minute ago. Number one, and the one that I think people will get on to me about more is in being a homer is Mike Denbrock over Kendall Bryles. Well, I look, I am going to sit here and say – that Mike Dimbrock has had better offenses, not just at LSU, but at Cincinnati, better than what we've seen Kendall have at times. Look, last year was not a good year. There's a reason he left the SEC to go to the Big 12. I will be honest. I think it's because he couldn't he couldn't cut it, not just in play calling, but in recruiting. Joe, he was so predictable. They were running the ball on third and seven. They're running the ball on third and eight because they can't throw the ball. And quite honestly, K.J. Jefferson has not in my opinion, progressed as much as he needs to. I I put Mike Dimbrock at four. Here's why. 34 passing attempts per game and 37 rushes per game. They were damn near down the middle 50-50 more than people give them credit for. Mm -hmm. They averaged 42 dropbacks a game. The reason they had 37 rushes is because obviously Jane Daniels would take off with the ball and run. Joe, here's the interesting thing for me from the LSU perspective. 270 yards through the year on average per game, 184 rushing yards per game. I think that Mike Dembrock, for what it's worth, is one of the better offensive coordinators. Now, because we'll talk about the top three, and I'll give you Garrett Riley, Ryan Grubb, and others. The guy that I think that's going to shoot up this list the most is Alex Atkins from Florida State. Dude, Mike Norvell gave over play calling duties. Their offense and Jordan Travis really did good. The, everybody progressing on offense. They got some offensive weapons now. He's a really good recruiter. The guy that I have a star by in my top five that I think could be number one by the end of the year, Alex Atkins from Florida State. So there's a lot to unpack there. I agree with the Alex Atkins notes that you have there. I want to quickly throw up mine, and then I want to go a little bit back and forth. The one thing I do want to definitely get to is the Kendall Bryles note that you brought up. Uh, my ordering here, I went with Garrett Riley at number one. Ryan Grubb at number two. We're both big fans of him. I'm sure we're going to do a bit of a deep dive on him. Andy Ludwig from Utah at number three. Omitted from your list. Alex Atkins at number four in Florida, uh, from Florida State, who apparently I'm slightly higher on him than you are. And then Will Stein from Oregon, who came over from UTSA to replace Kenny Dillingham. I want to get right, to Kendall Bryles first, ask though. You a question? Yes. Go ahead. I know that last show that we talked about Oregon. Yeah. Will Stein has no business being top five on this list. He no, come on, man. He deserves he deserves recognition for Joe. For he's, how yo, good. he's he's your age. He's not twenty four. He's he, not that young. 
I mean, he's not that young, but Kenny Dillingham was 29 and he was hired as a head coach. I I don't think age has anything to do with, with, uh, with coaching acumen. I think that Will Stein, as we've recognized, there are a lot of up and coming bright coaches. And I felt if I was going to put together one of these top fives, and if this is projecting forward and also based on results that we know that we have, this is 2023 for me. This is who are the best offensive coordinators heading into the season for 2023 this is a different structured list than the one we did with the top 10 programs i'm not sitting here and compiling data from the last few years i'm looking at who's turning the page to be a top offense in college football next season and i think that will stein at utsa utsa of all places was able to produce one of the top offensive programs in the country with a bunch of nobodies there there are not very highly draftable but he's also playing a bunch of nobodies too I understand that, but good scheme translates. Those athletes don't. Those athletes can't go to Oregon and start and be dominant, but the good scheme is going to translate. You don't want to know what he did statistically this past year at UTSA. He was 14th in the country in total offense, averaged 476 total yards of offense per game, 175 rushing, 300 yards passing with Frank Harris as his starting quarterback. I I believe that that is very impressive to do. At a program that typically is no UTSA's had some good some good seasons. They not until they, the not until their current coaching regime. And I think uh, that that's not true. That's not true. They had an undefeated season like four years ago before this new staff got in. Their offense that was under the current staff. That was a that was a different coaching staff. Yeah, it was a different coaching staff. Okay. Yeah, but so, I, mean, I believe that that Dan Lanning is a smart enough of a coach that he went and hired. Kenny Dillingham, who is now the head coach at Arizona State, he recognized the next young up-and-comer, and I think Oregon is not even going to miss a step with their offensive production. This was one of the most underrated coaching hires of the cycle. I vehemently disagree with you for this reason. Okay. I don't give to Rudy Poos what he's done at UTSA, okay? I've told you this once. I've told you this a thousand times. I got to see him do it now. I got to see him do it and the P5. Now, it will it be easier for him going to the Pac-12 where this is what defense looks like? Yay! Yes. Nevertheless, we don't know what he's going to be able to do with Bo Nix. We don't know what he's what his offense is going to look like when he has to be more open to win football games. And here's the ultimate question. Does he have enough experience when – you when you had to play USC and you got to score 40 plus points to beat them does he have enough experience to know what he's supposed to do on third down the one stat that I will give you okay. what do you think I'm about to say what do you think I'm about to say third down conversion he's not he statistically if you want to bring up stats statistically they weren't great on third down you know where offensive coordinators make their money third, third down, down third down in red zone that's where they make their money and if you don't have the experience of what to do in those situations or or have been around enough coaches that can – I don't – it's not as if – you know what, Joe? Like if he was with a Steve Sarkeesian before all this mm-hmm. and like he was with a Lane Kiffin before all this, I'd be like, yeah, okay, well – He's been with masterminds. He knows how they think. He knows how they roll. The only reason I say that is because the coaches like him that come up, it's the Joe Brady effect, right? 
The Joe yes. Brady effect is let's go get the young hot guy and hire him because he might be the next Joe Brady. They're not all like that. And Joe Brady wasn't even the OC, and people forget that so many times. I, I'm not saying that he's not a good OC. Let me get that out of the way. I'm okay. not saying he's not a good OC. I just don't know what he's done to deserve that because here's Alex Atkins, Jeff Levy, Mike Denbrock, Garrett Riley, and Ryan Grubb all have been offensive coordinators at the Power 5 level and all have had massive amounts of success. Will Stein is the biggest wild card to me of all of these teams that could make the playoff. He is by far the biggest wild card in all this. Oregon's biggest concern, biggest concern to me, what is the play calling going to look like offensively? And I I understand the concern of him not having extensive experience. It's not that he doesn't have extensive experience, and sorry to interrupt you. It's that he doesn't have hardly any experience. He's I Again, I understand that. And I understand that it is a little bit of a hot take for me to throw him here at number five. Uh, you but, think? But my again, my reasoning is that I don't want to be excluding of including guys that are on the rise. Guys like him that are on the rise. And I credit the fact that Dan Lanning is trusting him after having one of the best offensive coordinators in the country last year that is now a head coach, a young head coach. I trust that he is making this decision based on a level of confidence in him. Because he could have hired internally. I think a lot of times when you lose a guy like Kenny Dillingham to a head coaching position – Head coaches are are wary and are more willing to hire internally because they don't want to look outside young guys that they're not used to. But I think that that Will Stein is one of those people. And just because he coached UTSA does not mean that those results are not translatable. I'd understand if this was a head coaching position, there'd be concern of him not having the experience uh, of touching and being at programs of the Power Five level. But again, scheme wins, and the scheme that he ran at UTSA. Scheme does not always win. You need a bull in a china shop that can run somebody the frick over. If you've got the right scheme, you could you produce yards, you win football games. I have, I'm not worried about how he's going to do against Alex Grinch. I'm not. What good defensive coordinator? No, I'm are there not in the worried about him doing stuff against Alex Grinch. What I'm worried about is can he produce an offense that scores 40 points a game? Because the truth is. You're going to have, he's going to have to score that many points in this league to win. They were that productive at UTSA. And the, look, here's the other at thing U that Joe, Joe, at yeah. UTSA, I'm, I'm willing to give credit to the lower levels of football. I'm, yeah, I'm, you are, and you're naive in doing that. Look, as I'm a not guy, naive in doing that. I just, I, I'm not, if he was still at UTSA, he wouldn't be on this list. Oh, but so because he's at Oregon, that's the players don't matter necessarily if you're going to talk about scheme. If, if it's about the scheme, then he's a witch and wizard. It doesn't matter. You don't know enough about him. The sample size isn't big enough. And quite honestly, I agree with Chris H here. No love from for Bobby Petrino. I would put Bobby P over Will Stein. At least he's got skins on the wall. It's a fair point. That's a fair point the, to, to bring up Bobby Petrino. I will. I'm telling you right now, the reason why I put this guy on my list, by the end of the season, our, our tune right. is going to be completely changed. It's going to be completely changed. What, uh, what top five do you hate of mine the most, and why is it Mike Denbrock? Actually, I don't hate the placement of Mike Denbrock. I was expecting him oh, to be a lot higher than uh, 
yeah, I don't. I honestly think that Jeff Levy's a little bit overrated, in my opinion. I, I don't know if I really fully okay. get the Jeff Levy hype. I I feel as though where he's been is kind of the converse of what you just gave me for Will Stein. He is very heavily carried by his history and where he's been and the programs he's been a part of. I, I don't. I, I wasn't. Excited. I don't disagree with that. I, don't I wasn't excited at all last year by what he did at Oklahoma. It was very up and down. It was very inconsistent. Well. To to his credit, or 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 to what's the word I'm looking for here? To I don't because I don't want to say stick up for him, but I, I mean if we're gonna talk if we're gonna talk about like Venable like the whole sourcing thing that everybody was talking about was Venable's meddling in the offense. So yeah. if he's meddling in the offense, and that's what you know Oklahoma people are saying, then how am I supposed to translate that into? You know, Jeff Lebby not being a good OC. Here's the thing with Jeff Lebby is I think that offensively they're going to be fine. I, I really do. I, I think that they'll be fine. Defensive is where I worry about for them. It's not offensively. I don't worry about them the, uh, the really? offensively at all. He's been under Hypo. He's called plays for Hypo. And, and here's the thing. This is how you know a dude's a witch or a wizard, mm -hmm. okay? Josh Hypo and Lane Kiffin gave him play calling duties over themselves. Both of them. That screams to me that this dude knows exactly what he's doing. If Lane Kiffin, of all people, and Josh Heupel, of all people, are going to sit here and tell me that they're going to give over play calling duties to Jeff Levy, who am I to say that he's not a top five OC? I, I mean, I totally get that. I mean, that, that confidence from those offensive minded coaches is definitely very promising, but I, I push back a little bit on your notion of being more concerned with Venable's defense rather than Levy's offense, because last year, the better athletes were on the offensive side of the football. They've got Anton Harrison, who's a, a top 75 pick in this year's draft. And Dylan Gabriel was a highly recruited kid from UCF in the portal. Marvin Mims is a very talented receiver. Their inconsistencies on offense. And I know that there were rumors of meddling, but they were ripped apart on defense. And I look at what they did in the portal. Them getting guys like Desan McCullough in the portal is very, very critical for the them only taking time the next Oklahoma's going to play defense is the time that I actually see it. I don't know, man. I think that if this Dude, team wins football games, it's going to be on the defensive side of the ball. I disagree because you've had Bob Stoops, you've had Lincoln Riley, and now you have Brent Venables. You know what the only constant thing with Oklahoma has been? What? Their defense sucks. That's why they have a defensive-minded head coach now. They have that one was, Bob Stoops. Well, I'm I'm saying that now, <laughs> I'm saying that now that Venables is the head coach, that it's a transition from Riley that they're going back to that. I don't. That, that, I I just think Jeff Levy's a witch. The play calling that he does, I've seen him do it in the SEC. Joe, here's the thing, mm -hmm. I've seen him do it in the SEC. I've seen him literally give Saban fits. I've seen him go against. Georgia. I've seen him go against these teams. I've seen him when he's at UCF. I've seen him when he's done things uh, to to the, some of the best defensive minds that we've ever seen. And they say, and they like so. It is a, as an example. Okay. I, some people thought. Some people thought that <laughs> this wasn't going to ever happen. So I don't even know why I should say it because it's going to get taken out of context. Mm -hmm that Alabama and Nick Saban was going after Jeff Levy. Now, 
the problem with that is, is Jeff is an Oklahoma guy. He does, he's not going to leave his home, and, and I get that. But you have so many dudes thinking that he's a good offensive coordinator. He's not that good of a BSer. He's not that. He's just a wizard. So I, Oklahoma as a whole was bad just as a team. I don't put that on Jeff Levy. Okay. I put that more on Brent Venables. And I will be honest, outside of the Texas game, outside of the Texas game, they couldn't stop a bloody nose if they wanted to. They, yeah. The only way that they were able to win six games is because they were having to score 40 plus points a game. Yes. By the way, Dylan Gabriel missed parts of the season due to injury. Yes. Right. He had a couple of concussions or whatever it was that he had. He had to go out there with. Uh, this is what he had. He had a can of dip and, and uh, 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 a wrench or a screwdriver, and he had to go out there and make something happen. And they still were putting up 40 points. At one point, they were ha- they had a walk-on offensive lineman playing. And I'm like, D- what? You know, like, I mean, so I'm all right with Jeff Levy. Now, okay, could he be put at five and you switch him with Alex Atkins? I don't mind that. I don't. I think that I want to talk about this. I I think that Alex Atkins is not acknowledged enough in the college football landscape. He's for not how good of a, for how good of an offense coordinator he is. I mean, for the results that they had last year to step up the way that they did last season, I think is really telling to his offensive development as a play caller, as an offensive coordinator, just as an offensive coach. Right. Florida State is who they are, is not because of Mike Norvell solely. I, I give a lot of credit to Alex Atkins. And is continually one of the more forgotten players, or not players, coaches in this discussion. I agree. And look, for what it's worth, I, I'm going to get so ripped alive for saying this. If I'm a team that has Alabama on the schedule mm-hmm. and has Florida State on that same schedule, I'm more worried about Florida State because of Alex Atkins. They returned. They returned Jordan Travis. Jordan Travis took a massive leap forward under Atkins in that offense. Their offensive line got better. They run the ball effectively. They got playmakers on the outside. He got uh, uh, what's your boy from the the tight end from uh, from South Carolina? Um, Jaheim Bell. Jaheim Bell. Dude, they might be. I'm telling you right now, Alex Atkins single-handedly, like Mike Norvell should get on his knees and pray to the good Lord above that Alex Atkins is at Florida State. What he's done with a team of nobodies and transformed a bunch of three stars, and Joe, they're going to be a top five team preseason. And do they deserve that? I, I think that they do deserve that. I'm not. I'm not saying that they don't. But like I said in the beginning of the show, and I'll say it again here. At the end of all of it, like so, if Florida State wins the ACC and somehow beats LSU, they beat Clemson, they beat all these teams. He's going to be the hottest guy on the market. And I think I have him too low. I, I think five's too low. But at the same time, at the same time, there were times last season, a.k.a. Florida, mm-hmm. where he couldn't put them away, right? Like, they could not put a SEC team away. Same thing happened with LSU. So the two toughest games, arguably, they played outside of Clemson. Joe, he was sub below subpar. So the only thing that I would say about Alex Atkins is if you're only been if you're only able to score 24 points against let's call it what it is, uh two new head coaches who are working through things defensively 
if that's what you, you know, I kind of sit back a little bit like, bro, did Alex Atkins really do that great of a job or is the ACC that bad? So that's why I place him at five because I'm like, man, the two toughest teams you played defensively were from the SEC and they kind of wiped their, they kind of wiped the floor with you at times. That's actually a really good point. I do. I, I'm going to be the first one to sit here and say this, that a lot of his success does come from the fact that the ACC stinks. There is not a lot of very competitive defenses no that he's facing on a week-to-week basis. And a lot of their weaker games were against the best opponents on the schedule. But what is always really telling to me of a good offensive coordinator is what happens in the portal. You know, if, if, if a guy's been established and he's been there, who does he attract? And you just mentioned a laundry list of guys that they have attracted. And then on top of that, the biggest aspect of this, attracting Jordan Travis to return to come play for one more season because I think, he was I don't so think he satisfied. I don't think he had a choice. Uh, he could have he declared. He wouldn't have gone, gone very high, but he could have declared or he could have gone in the portal. My point here is that to have all that, to bring all that back, to bring all that in, means that there's confidence by the guys that were playing in the offense and then outside onlookers saying that I want to be a part of that. That like Jaheim Bell adding him into the mix is going to be really fun for a creative guy like Atkins to get him into the mix. I think that this, you know, there's a really even higher ceiling than what they finished last year, which was 16th in total offense. They're going to be better next year. I really do believe that offensive no, take it better. So look, I agree with you. I think that they'll be better as a whole I just don't know if they'll be better as a team, right? Like me. So, what do I mean by that? Mm-hmm. They lost a couple of running backs. They lost an offensive lineman. I think they get better there. I think they're going to be a really good team. Defensively, they're going to be really good. I think that their strength, Florida State strength, oh, oh, oh it, defensively, they have line, the best, too, especially. They have the best one-two punch in Jared Verse and the. Uh, uh, the big white Braden Fisk. Oh, Braden Fisk. Braden Fisk. There you go. So if you got Fisk and Verse on the outside, one inside, one outside, that is deadly. I got to see him do it against SEC teams again before I'm going to crown him of anything. Um, I do want to get to this. I'm going to I'm going to push back on you really quickly on your list. So your list before we get to the spray game thing, you had Garrett Riley at number one. Defended. What he did last year, and I, look, I know you're going to say this. He was in the Big Twelve. What he did last year, and what we—it's the argument that gets brought up all the time with these great coordinators. What do they do with you know a bunch of scraps, a couple of screws? What can they build together? Max Duggan wasn't even the starting quarterback at the beginning of the year. I agree with Quentin you. Johnston was a an enigma. Quentin Johnston was a this guy's got talent, but who the heck is he? I agree with you. There were a bunch of nobodies in this receiver room. Kendrick Miller was somebody who wasn't even really talked about because Zach Evans was there. For him to take all of these, I'm going to be honest, at the time, directionless misfits in a way, to bring them together as a cohesive unit and to turn them into one of the most productive offenses in the country to get your team to the national championship, their success, a lot of it goes to Garrett Riley. And I think the the massive part to me, 
he is one of the few coaches in college football that like I'll watch games consistently. And you're just like, how is that guy so wide open? He is one of the best coaches at scheming people open. You can be a good play caller and know situationally what to call, but if your scheme is strong enough offensively that you know how to find those lapses in a defense and to create space and to put your athletes in space, to put a guy like Quentin Johnston in space, to make big, massive plays, long touchdowns, to set up Kendra Miller for long rushes, even though he's not a fast guy, that to me is extremely impressive. And I, again, I'm, I, I've said this on the show and I'm going to keep saying the whole offseason, him at Clemson with Cade Klubnik, is he's going to explode. He will be a head coach the following year based on the results that he produces this upcoming season. His brother's offense does look really good at Clemson, doesn't it? There's no nepotism here. There's no nepotism here, Blake. Well, results are results. Wrong vocabulary word because nepotism is when you hire. You know, you know. Sorry, you know, but you know what I mean. There is no. This is not because of Lincoln. Because I don't like Lincoln Riley. Ever, I've said this on uh, on this show. I've established this. I am not. Doesn't matter if you like him or don't like him. He's a good offensive play caller, and it's his playbook that his brothers had at TCU. Results are results. What were his results like against uh, against Georgia? It, it it was the one bad game that they had. Every other so, game. Oh, so the best team that he played, he couldn't scheme anybody open. That it was that he was more. Wait, wait, wait. Go, that was more of a mismatch of athletes than that was anything to go. Quentin Johnson's supposed to be a first round pick, is he not? He got his ass kicked. Okay, well maybe he he's not kicked. first round pick worthy. Or it's a, it's a question I ask myself every or, single day. Or his OC might not be that good. Now, I have enough games of results to know that he is a good offensive coordinator. I am not I'm going not to detract from that. I'm not, not going to detract because of one bad game. Two. Everyone well, has bad games. Not that bad. Not that bad. It was not showing up as effectively prepared as he could, but the fact that there was such an athletic mismatch is what led to the result. That's not all on him. Well, it was an athletic mismatch against Michigan, too. He folded. But he but he showed it. I think it's of my opinion that the Riley brothers fold under pressure. I push back on that because the way that he showed up against Michigan, a game that he was supposed to get blown Michigan. out in. You know who else falls under pressure? Harbaugh. Michigan. Yeah. He still showed up in a game where he was supposed to get blown out, and that was probably one of his best Not called games. 60 points he wasn't. Again, you can't. All right. Uh, yes. So I've been poo pooing on your guy. Yeah. I agree with you on a couple things. Yeah. I think that he has the knowledge. Okay. Look, what he did to Max Duggan and for Max Duggan's career, I agree with you. 1000% just next world. Okay. I also agree with you that I think that he can do some good. He's going to do really good at Clemson. I think that if he puts a good thing, uh, a couple of good games together, good season together, if Clemson gets the playoff, Clemson's got an issue on their hands because somebody's going to want to poach him, especially due to his last name. That just it is what it is. Same with Lane Kiffin. If Lane Kiffin wasn't Lane Kiffin, if he was Lane Smith, nobody would really probably give a damn. It's just right. the truth, right? He's still a good play caller, meaning Lane. I just don't like what he looked like against Georgia. 
I, I don't like it. And okay. the only reason I put him at two myself was because he coached them to a national title. I think he led them there more than Sonny Dykes did. Okay. I think he deserves credit. I could honestly see him being out of this list next year. I can also see him being a head coach. There's no real middle ground for me. I don't think he he's a middle ground guy. You really think that with everything that he did last year, stepping into a situation at Clemson. The toughest teams they played outside of Michigan, he folded. But he's not going to be playing. He's Kansas not going to be playing State. significantly. He's not playing tougher. Kansas State. The ACC teams he's going to be facing are, are not going to be. Go. Let's go. All right. Well, then let's go through play calling. He okay. got his quarterback killed. He got his quarterback killed against Kansas State. You know that, and I know that. We talked about that at nauseum. Quinn Johnson was hurt that game, though, wasn't he? I mean, he got nicked up, but he came back. I mean, it's not like it was a banged up playing in that in that game. So, like, his best receiver wasn't really available to him. All due respect, so is everybody else. So is everybody else. Starting quarterbacks go out against Georgia. Backup quarterback comes in. You scheme open, a.k.a. Mike Denbrock, 30 points against Georgia, which you said was a knockout, even though that there were 14 points. They had a ball in the 20. They were getting, getting, about to get into a seven-point uh, seven window, even though you don't remember that Rudy Poo of a stat. Okay. Nevertheless, Joe, he did not – Kirby wiped, Kirby wiped his ass like a baby did. Like it, it, it was his baby. He 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 disciplined him like it was his baby. But I I just don't every agree with- offensive coordinator outside of Ryan Grubb on this list. Yeah, Jeff Lebby, Mike Denbrock, and Alex Atkins. Their toughest opponents. They performed. They performed. the The two point play call that Mike Denbrock had against Alabama for the win. Jeff Lebby when he was at Ole Miss against Alabama putting them on the ropes the year in 2020 when they're about to win a national championship. They're a touchdown away of being in Alabama. That was more on Lane Kiffin because of his stupidity. Alex Atkins, what the things that he's doing at Florida State that we just mentioned, you know what the one guy on this list is offensive coordinator that struggled against the best teams that he's coached against? Garrett Riley. Didn't didn't Jeff Levy get smoked by Texas this year? Am I am I misremembering what that score was? With a walk-on quarterback now. I Wait, with, not walk on with a backup freshman quarterback now, with two offensive yeah. linemen out. Oh, okay, no. but like we're, we, that still doesn't really support your. But, uh, I like I don't know if I give Levy okay, well, cred, it, it, like full here's credit. A, for, here's a wash. Then you ready for a wash? Yeah. Then then explain Ole Miss. What do you mean by like his results explain, at Ole Miss? Explain him putting up fifty plus against Alabama. It had never been done. In Nick Saban's career, no team on planet Earth had put up 50 against Nick. Nobody, ever. Lebby did. Again, I get that. I get that. I still think that we can't detract from what Garrett Riley did this past season. And I think that no, the way that they played, the way the that they played against you the way they played against Kansas State, you, you Homer. No, 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 no. You, I feel like you are. Oh, you moan when you, you think of TCU. Are, huh? discrediting you're oh. discrediting the way that they performed against Kansas State you oh, acted like they, they got their ass kicked oh they, Max. A, a bad call is oh, what prevented Long them from Fox. winning that game Kendry oh. Miller crossed the crossed the line of scrimmage and you know it who Kendry Miller crossed the line of scrimmage no was it not Kendry Miller who had the ball I don't think it was him 
I think it was Kendrick, or was it the backup running back? I it doesn't give a Rudy Pooh who crossed what lines at the end of the day against Kansas State when he had to get a tutty, he got his quarterback killed. You know it. I know it. Max Duggan knows it. Jesus Christ knows it. Satan knows it. Uh, everybody knows it. Stepping the only one that doesn't seem to know it is you. Stepping into a conference that, that is, is equal, that is crap. I, I just think to, to make the statement of there's no middle ground, he's going to be back on this list if he doesn't take a head coaching job. He's going to be. He's I'll going to produce great. I feel like it. Yeah, because you, you like to – you like to anger me. I want to talk about Ryan Grubb before we get to the, the All spring right. game I'll stuff. Do Ryan Grubb before we get to the spring spring game stuff. I, I think Ryan Grubb's another guy who doesn't get fully recognized for the results that were produced last season. Seventh in total offense, five hundred and fifteen total two, yards. There were two in total offense. We might be going off of different lists. Uh, Maybe I'm going. The NC, this is from the NCAA. Are you basing that on yardage or, or points per game? I don't. No, points per game is not that. It's total offense, yards, everything. Yards, touchdown, all of it. I'm going off of football reference was how they had them listed as seventh. But besides the point, top ten offense, one you of mean, the best. They were the number seven scoring offense. Maybe that's the difference of what I'm going Yeah, they were the number seven scoring offense in the country, 39.7 points per game. They were – anyway, continue. But we're fighting over semantics. But yes. Continue. And also something that we agree over, too. Right. I, my what they did with Michael Penix, who was a complete cast off, a complete and utter cast off from Indiana. I don't think anyone had him on their radar because he he stunk at Indiana. He was terrible at Indiana. Hold he on. was not good at Indiana. Hold on. Don't say everybody. You didn't think that Michael Penix was good at at Indiana. What? Did you actually? I was out here begging, begging. For LSU to get Michael Penix Jr. Begging. You don't know good quarterback play then if you thought that he was good enough to come to, to uh he no, was you know bad, I, dude. No, he you was know what bad. I thought? Um, not not true. Not true. What happened was if you remember in Indiana, okay, mm. he had a personal foul roughing the passer against him where a dude launched at his knees three times yeah. in a row, okay. He should have never played that uh, the rest of the season because he was compromised. Okay. okay, he had no mobility because he couldn't run. That's why he was bad at Indiana because he was toughing it out every day. Every day, Michael Penix Jr. ran out at Indiana. He was toughing it out and couldn't run. He was a dead. He was a sitting duck. Okay. Outside of Michael Penix, though, the rest All of that right. offense is a bunch of nobodies. I, I can't sit here and tell you who their top receivers, their top running backs were. They're not even in the discussion on the national landscape of being the top players. We've got some good offensive linemen that are going to get recognized. But to produce those results at Washington after a horrible year, they couldn't They couldn't move the ball. They were so bad offensively, they lost to Montana the year before. Mm-hmm. Those yeah, are pretty they really. They were really bad offensively. They were dead last. So that was, that was the thing that I was going to talk about. So they go from dead last offensively in the power five to number two. Okay, Ryan Grubb was asked by Nick Saban to come to Alabama before Tommy Reese was. He declined because he wanted. He told Michael Penix Jr. he wouldn't leave. Biggest thing for me, he was number one on third down in all offense. He was uh, in the top ten in red zone offense, eighty-seven percent of the time, fifty-nine scores. 
the only teams that they were behind were Georgia, Ohio State, and Tennessee. Still some pretty good class, but here's the problem with that. They scored more times than they did. So I'm a Ryan Grubb fan. I know that they don't play a bunch of nobodies, but you can't fake third downs and you can't fake the red zone. That's what I know. And when he went up against Texas, he made Sarkeesian's team look really bad. All right, Joe, let's do this. I want to get over to the spring game. So in case you missed it, Hugh Freeze came out the other day and talked about like preseason NFL games for spring games. He talked about everybody gets a tune-up game but us, uh, meaning college football. What he said, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember the exact quote, what if we played UAB or, or Troy and Alabama played UAB? You get what he was trying to say. Uh, in the in the spring game, the, he said a couple of things, though, about you know teams scrimmaging each other in the spring. That I just think it's kind of ludicrous. Here's number one. He said it would reduce more injuries. How? Number one, if you're playing an opponent in a scrimmage, how does it reduce more injuries? Now, well, wait, I, because you're not going, you're you're not going full rep on rep of your team versus your team, so you have less of your team on the field. That is, I think, the approach that he his math is obviously arbitrary, where he said fifty percent of injuries would go down. But the reasoning for that math is I, that you have as many guys on the field, right? I I get what he's saying. That ain't true. Because you know what's going to happen? What's going to happen is if they do something like that and UAB upsets Auburn, the head coach is going to hear about it all, right? Like, he's going to hear about all of it. They're going to go out there and play a little bit. I don't hate his idea, though, of, of teams playing spring games. However, be careful what you wish for because you get tune-in games all season long. You get in the SEC, normally you get two of them. You get an FCS opponent and then a group of five opponent. That's mm -hmm. how most SEC teams do it. Be careful what you wish for because if you do that, the SEC could push back on you playing another Power Five opponent. Maybe a lesser one, but another Power Five opponent or a really good group of five. I don't mind it. I know that uh, Shane Beamer said that he's on board with it. I will just tell you, I think a lot of these coaches that have somewhat talked about a little bit, Nick, not so much, but Kelly, Harbaugh, et cetera, et cetera, name them. They just want to get out of spring without any injuries. They want to yes. get the practice reps and they want to get out of there. They want to, their kids to learn the verbiage and get out of there. In reference to playing a game, I don't think that they want to do that. Now, could here's just what I believe they should do before I get, get it to you. Mm -hmm. If teams want to do it, let them. If teams don't, so what? I, I don't even fully understand like what is preventing this from happening. Do they need a go ahead from the NCAA? Like what what do we need for they would this need, to happen? They would probably need a so if you remember when teams started practicing against one another, mm -hmm. it, the NFL had to allow that to happen. Yes. Right. I would think that they would need some kind of approval from the NCAA, right? Like I, I would I assume that. Um, because there's only so many days you can be with the guys. There's only so many hours you can be around them. I'm sure there'd be some needs to be some legislation change. Um, but other than that, I mean, there's nothing really stopping them. I mean, they could do it. Right. I, I really do think that this is a good idea because, you know, us as former players, what spring ball was for is what you just mentioned is acclimation to verbiage, acclimation to plays, getting yourself just primed and ready for the season. 
uh, ahead of the season after you've done all of your your winter conditioning. I, I think that it just gets after a certain point, after a certain amount of weeks facing off with one of you, one another every single day, you can only get so much better. You know, like you need to get some different guys into the mix. And I think that the other added aspect of this is those smaller programs playing the bigger programs. The major benefit for them is that allowing your best athletes to get showcased. Like a lot of times, good example here is when the University of Rhode Island played Virginia Tech, when I was there, we had two of our top receivers had really good games. And one kid got drafted because of the way that he played against Virginia Tech's best corner he got drafted in the fifth round. Those types of matchups to have scouts there, maybe to check out, to see how things are looking. It's beneficial for both sides. This is Virginia, something that needs I don't to happen. This disrespectfully, that Rhode Island though, that's also a tune-up game. It is a tune-up game, so it's the same. It's the same difference. It's just we're doing it in the spring. I don't like it during spring, so I'll be honest. I don't Why? like it because nobody's doing that during the spring. Like. What do NFL? What do NFL teams do? They go through OTAs. They go through mini camps. They, you, we're not even at the draft yet. If you're going to do it, do it, in, do it in the summer. Do it in the fall. I don't like the idea of doing it. You in can the, go in the, one in the fall. You can go one scrimmage season. game. You can go one scrimmage game. I think they play enough games, and that they're going to be playing even more once the playoff expands. Like I don't think we. So need with more all due respect, fall. with all due respect, football. Okay, in college athletics. Now, it's going to expand in 2024. We all know that. By a ratio. Now, it's the most physical sport. I I get that. Has it really, really affected the NFL expanding everything? Has it affected college baseball? Has it affected college uh, women's basketball? Has it affected college men's basketball? No. No, not really. It It hasn't hurt them. I would make the argument it's made them better for practicing against a team when it's that much closer to the season. I I get where you're saying this. I just believe that to have that in the spring as well is beneficial because, like, what, what's know, the harm in doing lineman, it? As an offensive lineman, I you look. I'm going to say this is going to sound horrible. Uh-huh. You and the defensive lineman for your team know, like, hey, bro. Need a, you know. Well, that's why coaches don't want more of that. They don't want any brother-in-lawing. They don't want that kind of stuff. They want you to go full speed with that, someone who has nothing well, to that's, lose. But that's that's not what spring's for, though. Spring is a nine times out of ten just to learn and be out there and get the reps. Like, I, I just – I don't hate it. I just also don't love it. Well, okay, here's a – here's a just like a, a counter layer to this. The NFL is not a good comparison because they start up in the in the, in the summer when when they start playing preseason games. But high school football across the country, especially in places like Texas, spring ball, they play opponents, and there's no. Well, I don't know how your high school went, but I we didn't have played. it. We didn't have it in New Jersey. Oh, because the weather. Because of the weather, and then also that it's just a very prominent baseball in the cross state that there you're not going to take well, time. So I never play. I I never played a spring game. Neither did I, but I know that it's it's prominent and big in certain states, especially it Texas. It is. I mean, it's massive in, in Louisiana. It's massive in the South. But I'm a three – well, technically two and a half. I'm a two and a half sport athlete. Don't ask me the other half. I can't What's tell the you. the other half? I can't tell you. I just said yeah. I couldn't tell you. I'm a two-sport athlete, and okay. the team that I played on, we were good enough in the other sport in baseball to go somewhere. 
Joe, we were playing for, you know, competing for state championships. I'm not worried about spring football. I'm worried about getting winning and winning a championship. That that's besides the point, though. My my point is here is that when they do play other opponents and they do do spring ball and they do have a spring game, yes, it, there's, do. there's no negative to it. There's no negative to it. I think there's a lot of positives. Also, no, there's another not any negative to it. There's not other than injury. Another piece I would just like to add to this too: uh, an indirect impact for bigger programs. You go and play Troy. Say Troy's got some really good, a couple of really good players. You can steal one or two of them after getting to see them up close. Leading into the season, I, yeah, from the spring I, into the season, it just doesn't tickle my fancy. Mm. Hey, there's a reason I don't watch XFL during the spring, Joe. I've not watched that's one. Just bad, but that's just bad football. That's just horrible, horrible bad. Do you football. really think that spring football against opponents is going to be any better when they're throwing third string and walk-ons out there? I, I, but I don't need to watch. Like I'm not. I don't need to watch this. I'm saying for the quality of well, I'll give you. The, I'll give you an example. Alabama ain't running any of their stars out there, not one. They don't do it during spring. They yeah, don't do I mean, it when they do it against themselves. But the, the young you guys know. develop. That's. I mean, I remember – I actually, I don't What remember, would happen, but, though, if yeah. Alabama's or LSU or Notre Dame's second string beat the dog shit out of, like, a UAB? How funny would that be? Well, that's what I want to see. I, I just – I know oh back, in the, Matt, back in the day – what there like there even used to be more ways for the younger guys to develop like there used to be freshman teams like this is another way of getting those younger guys more shots this isn't for the uh, the starters this isn't for the upperclassmen the guys going to the NFL draft it's let's see how the backup younger guys do the young talented five stars let them get out there in a full game and let's get those guys those reps we'll see we'll see what happens i i don't know if it'll i probably won't come to anything um, it's just if, a enough people, if, enough, if enough people chirp about it, it's possible. Uh, it, I don't, we've only got possible. two so far in a two day span. Maybe there's a few more that come in. Come if, in Saban, if Saban comes out and says it and it really pushes it, they'll get it done. Journalists are, are extremely uncreative. So they're going to keep asking this question during, during. Uh, well, I gotta be honest. I don't know when we get Brian Kelly again. I'm, you should ask it. I am like, I really have thought about, I've literally thought about going in there and now listen, when I go, I don't ask questions. You just listen. Ben's asking questions. <laughs> you finished the time machine. First off, how did you get in there for, through a locked door? <laughs> because it's not locked. Yeah, it's not Okay. Well, we got to get out of here. Okay. Okay. Dave's got to go to his other show. I I just made my time machine. I just one. He made a time machine, Mister Joe. I I I, <laughs> I see that. Tell Mister Joe bye. Uh, bye Ben. Thanks All right. Ben. All right. Close it's the, the best re best reminder to that the show's wrapping up is that Ben's good at timing it up. Ben's good at timing up in the last five minutes to, to roll in right Oh, dude, every night at 7 o'clock, every night. He wants his airtime. He wants his airtime. He <laughs> wants it. Does he know that people, like, are, like are, how many people are, are are paying attention to him when he comes on? Does he Not have any clue. idea? Not a no, clue. He thinks that you're just talking to nobody. No. Uh, I kind of hope he does. That'd be, he that'd be hilarious. I got to be honest. That's a great question. I have no idea. 
I have no I have no <laughs> idea. I don't know what he thinks. He thinks it's like he 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 thinks that like daddy's on YouTube. Like that's a it's a big deal to him. He thinks I'm a superstar, which makes me feel Oh, that's awesome. Crazy, but because I'm I, not I I think next time he comes on, ask him how many just tell him like how many people you think are watching. Just see what number he comes up with. I, th I think that'd be Oh, great. if he goes higher than 20, I'd be surprised. And then we'd have to sit here and let him count it because then if we don't let him count it, then he's gonna cry. Oh, oh. Well, he can read the number in the corner. That's the it tells us how many Ah, uh, he's three. Oh. I mean, I know he looks 27. <laughs> you know, he, he looks he looks like he's six. He's that big as a, of a kid that he could Dude, be. First off, before we get out of here, so yeah. he plays soccer. Okay. He's probably knocking the hell out of those kids. Everybody. That's awesome. He drop kicked a kid. That's makes me so happy. He drop kicked a kid. <laughs> he drop kicked a kid. He's oh. three. The other day we were That's playing fantastic. we wanted to play football because football was I was I was breaking down the Alabama. Uh I was watching an all 22 copy of Alabama and LSU. Mm-hmm. And he goes, sit, hot one, hot two. And I'm like, what just, what just happened? So I, it was a pretty proud pop-up moment, I got to tell you. Quick learner. <laughs> yeah, but he keeps saying, Daddy, I want to play football. And I'm thinking about, man, you're three. Not yet. Yeah, and, not yet. All right, buddy. We'll see you all Saturday, I believe. Yes, Saturday um, we'll be back. So a lot of good things we'll discuss then. Until then.